0: Um, 5.30, they're going to be about an hour. Um, There's about 30 minutes of video, 30 minutes of discussion, and men, I really want to encourage you, and I'm going to single out the young guys. If you're in your 20s, if you're in your 30s, if you're in your 40s, I want you to come. I'm not singling out the older guys because I already know they're going to be there. That's the culture of our church, and that's good. I'm grateful for older leadership that sees the importance of making that a priority, but if you're younger, you need to be here. You need to get that same zeal, that same passion that says, hey, the doors are open and there's something for me. And I believe next Sunday night as we start that new series, ladies, you'll have your series, gentlemen, you'll have your series. It's going to be uh, something that's going to really help our families grow, and uh, especially men grow in this uh, challenging world that we live in. When we have families and careers and, and faith that we've got to balance, it's, it's difficult. So I um, encourage you to come. And thank you for being here this morning. Uh, Pastor Tony is out of town this week. so. Um, uh, if you came here to hear him today, I'm sorry you missed out. you got to hear me. Uh, but hopefully you don't hear me today, and the Holy Spirit speaks through me. This morning we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Um, we're in week 2 of this series called Why. And in the, through, the, through the month of September, we're just talking about the why of our Christian faith and what we do. Last week we talked about worship and how worship is not an act of 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 music or or the things that we a lot of times associate with with worship but it's it's our heart and our attitude towards God and and our Heavenly Father and this morning we're going to talk about the church and why the church and why we do things the way we do at church and why the church is um structured the way it is in different ways um change though change is inevitable everybody hates the word change right it's a scary word on uh, Friday morning, I went to breakfast with uh, some of the, the men and ladies from our church, and I was actually sitting across from Ben and, and with Bill, and we were talking about how they've seen some change. They're both in their 70s. I'm, I'm in my early 30s. I said, man, you guys have seen some change over the years. And uh, I mean, if you think about it, stop, take a minute, and just think about your life. Um, go back 10, 50 years. Some of you can go back 50 years. Some of us can't, um, but even just 10 years ago. The world has changed immensely. Uh, go back even further, and it's, it's changed. You can go from technology to uh, computers, cell phones, clothes, styles, uh, the buildings and construction and the styles of buildings, and the looks of buildings. Um, even some of the major brands have changed over the years, and some of them didn't even exist 20 years. Think about Google. Google was established in 1998. What did people do before Google? What did my generation do before Google. That's where I go over my... I'm like, what's the answer? I don't know. Let's Google it. (laughs) That's actually a term now. People say, just Google it. Uh, College football just kicked off, right? One of my favorite uh, seasons of the year. I love college football. Yesterday, I was over at Shane and Melissa's house, and we watched... It was the uh, uh, Texas-Christian Arkansas game. Did anybody see that? It was a crazy game. It was like 7 to 20. Uh, We were going to watch the BSU game, but there was delay in one of the, the other channels for weather, and so that game was on, and it was 7-20 to 20 in the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden it was one of those games that just went crazy where there was a touchdown and then an interception and then a penalty and back and forth into overtime. It was a fun—I love that excitement. That's why I love college football. Um, but just to show you an illustration of change over the years, I'm from Oklahoma, so don't take this personal. I know you guys are Boise State fans. I'm sorry. I'm still bitter that you beat us in the Fiesta Bowl. I'll get over it someday. But uh, look at this over the years. So this first picture is from 1904. That was the football uniform in 1904. Look at that. I don't even know what that There <laughs> They're four faces. They must have just been destroyed. Of course they were, if you've ever seen some of those, those guys. Go to the next one, guys. This was 1955. So they got a little smarter. There's one bar going across the face to protect their mugs. It looks like they got a little more padding. Yeah, and if you go to today, I mean, they're, they're pretty solid in, in all their gear and protection. So that's one change. Here's another one. Here's a a baseball picture from, uh, this is actually uh, Fenway Park. If you go to the next field, or next picture, that's Forbes Field. You can see all these guys. Most of the men are wearing fedoras uh, and derby hats. Long gone are those days of wearing hats. They got suits on. Um, That's how they've changed over the years. Go to the next one, guys. This is the New York Giants. There's not even, New York Giants is a football team now. Now it's what, the New York... uh, Help me out. It's the well the Yankees, but then who's the Giants now? Mets. Mets? Yeah. San Francisco. That's what it is. San Francisco Giants. So this, was, this is 1912. 1911, I'm sorry. 1911. Look at those uniforms. That's crazy. All right, go to the next slide. This is today. these, these this is today. The so just looking. That's today. Next slide, guys. These are fans today. The next one. So now we're wearing jerseys and ball caps, and there's the long gone are the days of fedoras and canes and, and all the, the fancy things they used to... It's funny, I was talking to, to Sid today, uh, I think it was Sid and Jim, and I said, remember those things that guys used to wear back in the day that were around the thigh and that would hold your socks up? What are they called? Garters. They should bring those back. My socks are always falling down, and I got to pull them up. <laughs> I'm going to get some. I'm going to invest in some. That or I got to get better socks. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so those things have kind of changed a little bit. Let's go on to the next side here. Um, Here we go. This is a 1912 Model T Ford. Wow, huh? Uh, Here's some specs on the Model T Ford. It was a uh, two-speed rear axle car. For you car guys, I'm sorry, John. I'm not a car guy. I don't really know a lot about cars. Uh, With a top speed of 40 to 45 miles an hour. Um, probably would have set you back about 400 to 500 bucks uh, back in the day, and it had a, a fuel economy. Get this, of 13 gallons miles per gallon. You get up to 21, but oof. I'm glad we've kind of passed that a little bit. Kind of. Some of you guys with trucks, you got gas hogs. Fast forward 100 years. So this was 2000. This was 1912. This was 2012. So this is already almost five years old. But this is a Ford Taurus. So we're going to talk about some change here. A quick search on Google pulled up these specs, and I'm going to read it for you. If it's space you want, you'll find the 2012 Ford Taurus Delivers. Upfront available massaging, massaging seats help negate leg and back fatigue on long drives. It can also be climate controlled to provide both heating and cooling. The Taurus's instruments are bathed in soothing ice blue lightning, whatever that is. And the center stack houses a large LCD display for the available Sync audio and navigation system. Most of the controls can be operated via buttons on the Taurus steering wheel or by voice command. Taurus, turn on. I, I, don't, I don't know. The 2012 Taurus offered such upscale options as automatic high beam dimmers, rain sensing wipers, adaptive cruise control with collision warning, blind spot information system, which alerts the driver if there's other vehicles that are in his blind spots or cross traffic alerts. Um, when the vehicle is backing up. Other options include power and sunshade for the rear window, heated rear seats, power adjustable pedals, 12-speaker premium Sony, Sony audio system. Who wants to go buy a new car now, right? It sounds amazing. Um, and like I said, it's almost five years old. But change isn't always good, right? Let's, how many of you remember the old Blockbuster, the store Blockbuster? Are there any still in this area? No. Believe it or not, there's actually one in El Paso, Texas. I don't know. I, I looked into it when I was doing some research. I guess they were bought out, and there's a couple independent owners who are just aren't willing to die yet. But um, there's a few around the U.S. But if you didn't know their story, here's Blockbuster's story. Blockbuster was founded in 1985, and they were sold in 1987 to investors for 18.5 million dollars. So in two years, that's how much they got worth by doing the whole rental movie video thing. Um, Four years later, Blockbuster was bought by Viacom for 500 times that amount at 8.4 billion with a B dollars. Blockbuster made most of their money on late fees. So they would hit you with late fees, right? Who's gotten the late fee from Blockbuster back in the day? Yeah? Okay, so I know a few of them, right? But one man had had enough late fees and after obtaining a $40 late fee for the movie Apollo 13, Reed Hastings said that's enough, and he went on to found a company that we know today as Netflix, right? And so um, in the year 2000, Blockbuster made $800 million on late fees alone. That same year, Reed Hastings, the guy who just founded Netflix, went to them and wanted to partner with them and offered them the chance to purchase Netflix and they were their anti-late fee company because that was Netflix's thing. They don't, they don't give you late fees. You can order the video and keep it as long as you want then return it, right? Um, they were only going to sell them for $50 million. So they had just made $800 million that year alone on late fees. And they said, we'll sell you our company. We'll partner with you, $50 million bucks." But this was the answer. Barry McCarthy, who was Netflix, um, used to be their CFO, had said they just about laughed us out of the office initially. And they thought we were a very small niche business. Now Netflix market value stands at $32.9 billion, which is larger than CBS Network. Blockbuster didn't fare so well, and they failed to see change that was taking place in a society and in a community, uh, in the technology. And because they failed that, they, they missed out on the huge opportunity for growth and um, for business to continue and, and do things in an awesome way. Now they're, they're bankrupt. They're gone. So what does Ford and baseball and sports and Blockbuster have to do with the church? I'm glad you asked. Let's pray this morning. We're going to dive into Acts chapter 2, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that as as we spend the next 20 or 30 minutes in your word, God, that uh, it wouldn't be me speaking, but the Holy Spirit would move through me, and I would say things that I need to say, not say things that I shouldn't say, and that um, your word would be spoken this morning. It's your name we ask these things. Amen. We're in Luke, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse forty-one of Acts chapter two. Peter's actually preaching to a crowd of Jewish people. If we skip the first part of the book and go down to verse forty-one, this is kind of at the end of his sermon and what he's telling them. Verse forty one says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Notice what verse 42 said, that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, their teaching, devoting themselves to fellowship, uh, breaking of bread, prayer. Let's keep reading. We're going to come back to that. Uh, And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the same in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Again, verse 42 kind of gives us an idea of the purpose of the church. It's not an exact replica or verbatim uh, stance on what the church is, but according to this verse, it gives us um, several different things, four things. And we're going to show some other scriptures this morning. Firstly, the church is to be is to teach biblical doctrine so we can be grounded in our faith. We're to teach biblical doctrine so we can be grounded in our faith. Um, in Life Group this morning, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, and verse, one of those verses, verse 14, said that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speak the truth in love. We may grow up in into him, into all things, which is the head, of even Christ. So we're to teach the truth of God's word in love, and to hear and receive it, and not be deceived like child, like a child. This is called spiritual maturity. You can deceive a child easily. You know the old "I like, got your nose" trick. You know I can go up to my my son who's two, um, or my daughter when she was that little, and like, I got your nose. You'll know, freak out a little bit. What? Give them a couple of years, and they're maturing, and now they're not easily deceived. Dad, it's not funny. You know. Whatever whatever the trick may be, children are immature and then they grow and mature. Well, this is what the Bible is saying here. We need to grow as well because we are called to maturity. Secondly, the church is to be a place of fellowship or to be a place of fellowship. This is where Christians can devote to one another. That's why we gather together. Um, Romans 12.10 says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake or neglect this is that word there? The forsaking of yourselves together. The church were to instruct one another. Romans 15, 14. The last part of the verse says, That ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. So it's not just the pastor's job to instruct. Yes, he is the shepherd. But we, as believers who are maturing, should be doing our part as well and helping other believers, the younger believers, rise up. Um, the church is to be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 4:32. We know um, what that talks about, being um, compassionate to one another. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 talks about loving one another. 1 John 3.11, and I would encourage you to take time to look some of those verses up later. Number three, the church is to be a place where believers can observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, This is one of the Lord's ordinances, and we do this oftentimes throughout the year. There's no specific time that we do it, but we get together and remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.23 um, through 26, that, that area talks about the concept of, of what we do in breaking bread and having the Lord's communion. Acts 2.42 also carries out the idea of having meals together, that same thing of breaking bread. Just as a community, the fellowship of believers encouraging one another, um, which is kind of why we do small groups. We want to encourage people to get together, get to know other people, have people in your homes, have a meal together as a believer in Christ. Um, number four, the church is to be a place that promotes prayer, teaches prayer, and practices prayer. Philippians 4, 6 encourages us to be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, petitions, with, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God. And we should pray constantly. This is something here at the church we're trying to do more and more of. Um, we've talked to our life group leaders. we talked to those who are involved in our, in our first impressions or hospitality teams and greeting people about certain times we're meeting to pray together as a team, as a church. Because prayer is important. Without prayer, without the Holy Spirit, the coming into this church, coming into these four walls, does nothing. Um, fifthly, we look at um, another commission that was given to us in Matthew 28. This is a familiar commission if, you, if, you're, if you've read it before. The church is, t- is called to proclaim the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven. And in earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Acts 1 8, another verse that says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto men, unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're instructed here at the Great Commission. We're to go, we're to tell, we're not just to come, we're not to sit, we're to do. Sixthly, the church is called to be faithful in sharing the gospel through word and deed. We are called to be faithful in sharing the gospel through word and deed. And I'm going through this this list. I've got seven things here, and it's kind of—I'm just reading through. I hope I'm not hope you're staying with me. Stay with me. Uh, But the church is called to be faithful in sharing the gospel. The church is to be a lighthouse in the community, pointing people toward our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church is to both promote the gospel and prepare its members to proclaim the gospel— if we look in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. If someone says, hey, why do you do what you do? Why do you believe what you believe? You should be able to give an answer. And it shouldn't be because, well, my grandpa or my mom or my dad, you should have an answer that you know in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Lastly, we see this. The church is to be the, about the business of ministering to those in need. This includes not only sharing the gospel, gospel, but also providing for physical needs, food, clothing, shelter, as necessary and appropriate. Um, this, this yesterday, as I was, I've been preparing all week, and yesterday I was in my office, we had a breakfast here, and I was reading, and there was a, you know what clickbaiting is? Um, uh, when broadcasters or paper, they call it clickbaiting now because the internet age, back in the day, I don't know what they called it, but they would make a headline that catches your attention, so you want to read it. So there was a headline that caught my attention, so I clicked on it. And I I wanted to read it. And it said, why people like Starbucks more than your church? Um, Up here, I know Dutch Bros is kind of a famous thing. Everybody loves Dutch Bros. Down south, Starbucks is big. And I like Starbucks. So I thought, this is interesting. I'll read it, see what it's about. And I thought, "Uh, okay, sure, Um, whatever. And then I went on. So this morning, I had a gift card. So on my way to church, um, I stopped by Starbucks. And I grabbed a, a muffin. And I grabbed a coffee. And they handed me their coffee cup. And it threw me off because they had a new sleeve. It wasn't just a normal Starbucks sleeve. And it said, upstander. I said, what is an upstander? Then right beside it, it said, upstander, a noun, a person who acts to make positive change. It said, watch, discuss, vote, get inspired, go to starbucks.com, upstanders. So this morning I went, got on the computer, and I said, well, what is this upstanders about? And I clicked on it, and there was was a whole bunch of people just doing good in the community. Some things that Starbucks has done is get people involved in providing water in Africa and providing food for those fighting hunger, both here in the U.S. and overseas, helping women out of prison find jobs, helping disabled people find purpose, overcome difficulties, Um, building homes, restoring broken communities, and those are just a few things. So the church, the, the, the thing about guys my age, about millennials is what they call us, they don't care about coming to a building and just sitting. They want to do And a lot of times they see the church and they say, well, what are those guys doing? They just go in and sit in the church service and then they leave and they don't go and do anything. But then they see a, if you want to call it a liberal organization like Starbucks, and they're actually doing what we just read here in James, uh, I'm sorry, in, um, yeah, in James 1.27 and providing for the poor and providing for the fatherless and the widows and those that are afflicted. They're actually Doing. See, this is something that the church over the years has, I think, has gotten backwards in the circles that I grew up in. Even um, they use their church as they use as an excuse to say, "Hey, um, we're not going to provide water, or we're not going to provide food, or we're not going to meet needs because that's not what's important." Uh, yeah, those other churches can do that, but their soul is what's important. But how can we get to their soul if we don't even get to their heart? If we leave that for the world to do, and the church is content to just come sit in the pew on Sunday, check the block and go home. How are we being the church? So we don't need to leave it to the secular organizations to go out and do those things. We ourselves need to step up and do it. And that starts with everyone. It's not an older generation thing. It's not a younger generation thing. It's an everyone thing. The last part of that verse says, "And, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The church is also to equip believers in Christ with the tools they need to overcome sin. And how do we overcome sin? Well, that's clearly like if we go back to Acts 2. We are teaching biblical doctrine. We're fellowshipping with other believers. We're having that accountability. We're keeping our hearts right, and we're staying focused. So what's the purpose of the church? Well, Paul gave us that, that excellent illustration um, of the body. If you look in, Corinthians in um, 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about how we're God's hands, we're God's feet. And we are one body, but we're made up of many parts. We all have different gifts. We all have different talents. We all have unique abilities, but if we don't exercise those and we don't work together, then we're going to fail. Matthew 19, 10 through 13 reads like this. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, bold behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them that, behold, need not a physician, but they that are sick need a physician. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So to recap this verse, he's saying, who needs a doctor, the sick or the healthy? The sick. I didn't come for the righteous, I came for sinners. And the church is to be both, yes. The church is not a hospital for the sick. However, it should act as one of those as well. But it's also a place where believers grow and are edified and are brought up so they can reach the sick and the lost. If we're too much one or too much the other, we're we're missing the mark. We've got to be both. You see, the religious people worried about their religious stuff, their laws or traditions. How dare Jesus eat with these sinners? And if we're not careful, careful, we turn into the same religious Pharisees and we think church is about a certain way a certain style but it's not it's about growing it's about maturing it's about doing it's about reaching others but that's where it gets tricky because growth sometimes associated with that word change means getting past our comfort zone it means doing doesn't mean sitting and the pastor isn't the one who's supposed to do it all the old school philosophy somewhat of church was we come to church the pastor gets up he says his, his message, and we leave and we go home. But the pastor can't do it all. He can, he can shepherd, he can instruct, he can encourage, and he should. But it takes believers who do, who act, who are involved. Right. You weren't called to sit, but you were called to serve. A lot of times, though, we turn into the Pharisees and we get hung up on all the sitting stuff. Can I say that? Is that bad English? Probably. Oh, I like Sunday school. I don't like life groups. I don't like small groups. What is this? I don't like the music. It's too old, or it's too new, or it's too loud, or it's too soft. Whichever one you fit in. I don't like the decor. Those flowers are ugly, it's too modern. What's that pastor doing? I don't like the children's ministry. It's not cool enough. It's not big enough for my kids. I'm going to find a church that has a ministry that fits my kids' needs. I don't like the student ministry. I don't like the men's ministry. I don't like the women's ministry. There's not enough for me, 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 I, I, I. I don't like watching a video teaching. I just want to go verse by verse. I just want to go topical. I just want to go. We have our preferences and our likes. We think that's what church is about. There's some English for you. Sorry. Countless numbers of leaders, I just included myself in that first, and members of churches are giving into a Christian consumerism. We like the idea of outreach. We like the idea of evangelism. We like the idea of growth, both in numbers and in spiritual maturity. But we resist violently at the point of implementation because that means at the point we actually have to do, it's going to actually cost me something. In other words, if we were to scratch the surface of sacrificial, pick up your cross, follow me, to live as Christ, to die as gain, a mature Christian, if you were to scratch that surface, you would actually find it's all about me spiritually narcissistic, turned inward, meet my needs, feed me, consumer. We might say something like this. Of course I want to reach the lost, and of course I want to see them experience the love of Christ. And yes, I want to grow, but then we throw in our butt. I'm not going to put in extra hours of my time. I'm not going to volunteer for student ministries during the, during the service. I'm not going to risk stirring things up right now. I'm not gonna give up my seat. I'm not gonna turn things over to a bunch of 20 or 30 or 40 year old somethings. This is my church. I'm not gonna join a life group. Fine, I'll join, but I ain't talking. (laughs) I'm not gonna change the music. I'm not gonna let them start playing guitars and drums. And I'm not gonna learn new songs. And I only like the old ones, and I don't like the new ones. I'm not gonna give to a building campaign. I'm not going to give up my parking spot or park further away so somebody else that's visiting can park. I'm not going to entertain the thought of two church services. No way. I'm not going to stand for that pastor dressed and casual. I'm not going to stand for that pastor wearing a suit. I'm not going to watch someone teach or preach on a video. I already said that one. I'm not going to come to church more than once a week. I'll give them Sunday morning and that's it. I'm not going to, you fill in the rest. With our words, we'll say, hey, I want to re- reach lost people, and I want them to go to heaven. But in our actions, we act like they can go to hell. Why? Because this would call for sacrifice. This would call for inconvenience. This would call for us to do. Can I let you in on a secret as a leader? It would be super easy just to stay a church. Whatever this church has been. You know what that means for me, for Pastor Tony? That means I don't got to work harder. I don't got to invest, invest in casting vision. I don't got to worry about having to face potential opposition. I could just show up to work, check the block, and go home like a 9 to 5. I even told Pastor Tony that. I said, I don't know why I came back. <laughs> I told you I'd be transparent and real. I said, a changing church is hard. and change, isn't ba- change is not bad. I'm using the word on purpose because I know people think change is bad because we're not really changing. If you, when we're done, I'm going to tie it all together, and you're going to be like, oh yeah, we're not changing. Things might look different, kind of like that car, but they're not different. But I told him, I said, if I just went to a church that was kind of already past certain things or over certain things, that's easy. Coming back to a church where people are set in ways, people are set in systems, you've got to try to teach them new systems, and tell them that the old ones aren't bad, and the new ones aren't bad, and some work, and some don't, and it's exhausting it can be but i think god calls us and challenges us even as leaders to step up to the plate it's easy for you too i mean you could just check the block show up good pastor sermon good 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 sermon pastor and then just leave and go to kfc or whatever it is have your fried chicken but you know what's funny we're not the only generation to face the struggle of disagreement and contention if you look at 1 Corinthians 1, in 1 Corinthians 1 verses, read the whole chapter, but if you're looking at verse 10 and 13, this was written to the church at Ephesus in, Cor- in Corinth, and he was mainly talking to some Gentiles at this time, and he was helping them, Paul was helping them identify problems and offering solutions, and, and, and they were living in a little bit of a, in somewhat of a corrupt society, kind of like today. And he says this in verse 10, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no division among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same, su- in the same judgment. What Paul was saying is, hey, we've got to get along. No, you don't have to agree with everything. No, you don't got to see eye to eye on the way certain things should do, or, or especially petty stuff like, like de- decorations and, and, and music and other things that we call church. But when it comes to the preaching and teaching of God's word in the Bible, that's where we've got to be unified in Christ. When it comes to doing and being in the church, that's where we've got to be unified in Christ. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's about spiritual maturity, growing as Christians until Jesus Christ comes back, and helping younger Christians grow and reaching the lost. Getting back to just checking the religious block thing, we can't just come to church because that's what mama did, or that's what daddy did, or grandma, grandpa. Um, We come so we can grow. And sometimes the methods that we use they stop working. And we got to adjust the methods. And then those methods that we just adjusted, they don't work either. we got to try those. And it's not, it's not the preaching and the teaching of God's word that we're changing. It's the, it's the avenue that sometimes we change. And maybe we never get tied up in the avenue and think, well, I, that church is running from God or they're not going God's ways because we're not steering away from God's word at Centennial Baptist Church. That's not the vision. That's not the mission. But as we grow, and I realize I'm the new guy, the new face, somewhat new but kind of old. Um, and so a lot of times the new guy gets labeled with, hey, here comes that guy trying to change everything. And that's okay. I'm not, I mean, I, I don't mind. And, but I don't ever want to come off mean or negative-spirited, but I want to help as a church. Let's teach, let's instruct, let's grow. I see a lot of empty chairs today. We should fill those chairs. But it's not just about what happens on Sunday. New isn't bad, it's unfamiliar, it's uncomfortable, so it's not easy. New takes more work. Black and white church is easy. There's no division. A statement was once made like this, legalism, rules, religion make holiness seem easier to do by replacing a living relationship with Jesus Christ with a list of rules. If you can clone religious robots, a church can exist for quite a while. They just come in, check the blocks, and there's plenty of religions in this valley that even do that. You can show up at a certain time on a certain day, and you know that the first thing is going to be a prayer, and then you're going to sit down, and then they're going to pray, and they're going to sing, and they're going to, you're, going to get to, you're going to get to have your religion. But that's not what it's about. Too many Christians go to churches because their parents went to church, and we love our churchiness. Why? Because it's predictable. When I say churchiness, our religion, we need to lose our religion and go back to our relationship with Jesus Christ. I had a conversation. I'm not even going to say it. We have this issue too in church. We like to separate our church lives from the rest of our lives. And this is where we become religious. The Church isn't about the two hours or three hours that take place here. It's about the rest of the hours and the entire week or we are to be the church. But we think it's all about those two hours. When I was in the army, I was exposed to a lot of people of a lot of different walks of faith and many who said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Why were they Christian? Because they went to church. That was, their, that was their reasoning. And I hope we don't get to that in our mind where that's what, the way we're doing. We should say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes as long to reach the lost, as long As it doesn't compromise the scriptures and teaching of God's word. I don't know who said this, but I like the quote Too many of us today have it wrong. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. The Great Commission never instructed us to disciple the same people with the same programs in the same ways over and over again. Because if we have the same people in the same church in the same Bible study for the same number of years and nothing changes the church or the people, then maybe we should reevaluate what we're doing. I'm going to read you some statistics about the church, and and then I'm going to wrap up here five minutes. Hang with me. Golden Corral will still be open. Thomas Rainer, he's a famous Christian author, president, CEO of LifeWay Christian Resources um he's got some uh, written many good books and he's got some leadership lessons online podcast he did some research and a study showed that nine out of ten churches in america have an average worship attendance of less than 350 and again i'm not the goal is not to make centennial baptist church a megachurch if i've given that impression I, I apologize the goal is not to increase our numbers even i'm going to tie that in at the, at the end but these are just church statistics 90 percent of churches have an average worship of less than 350 and the percentage has not changed significantly for many years Yet the unchurched pool of persons is increasing in most communities. So why is that happening where they're not exceeding 350? He gave a few caveats to why. First, big is not necessarily better. So we're all on the same page there. A church with more people and attendance is not a more faithful church than a smaller church because it's not about size or numbers. Second, some churches are in sparsely populated areas. They might not even have 350, or they might not have a, a huge city. So you're going to, you know, Chicago is a lot different than Caldwell, so the church sizes are going to be different. And then lastly, he said this, and he said this is the key one. Leadership is indeed a biblical and theological issue, and it's really a matter of healthy stewardship. So if the leadership isn't there to help guide a church to grow, then they, they can't grow, um, We're a nation and a a continent of smaller churches, and though we have far more small churches than large churches, there is a bigger migration of people from smaller to larger churches. In other words, many of the smaller churches are getting smaller, larger churches are getting larger. And here's the statistics I was going to read to you. Fifty percent of all churches in America, so this is half of them, have less than 100 people in attendance. Forty percent of all churches in America have between 100 and 350 in attendance. That's where we fall. Than 10% of all churches in America average more than 350 in attendance. And keep in mind the upper 10%, that includes the more growing churches, while the, the lower 90% includes the de- declining churches. So what's the most common reason for these decline? And the common reason is an inward focus. The ministers are only, only there for the members. The funds are almost exclusively used to meet the needs of members. The times and types of worship and styles are geared just for members. And conflict takes place when we don't get things their way. You get the picture. And then he gave some warning signs. After studying and concluding with thousands of churches, I'm sorry, consulting with thousands of churches, he said, I began to see clearly this pattern. Even more, I began to recognize the symptoms of an inward focus. Here's a few he gave. There are a few attempts to minister to both those in the community and in the church. Church members argue over preferences and desires. Numbers of members in the congregation are openly critical of the pastor, openly critical of the church, and and the other lay leaders in the church. Any necessary change to become a great commissioned church is met with anger and opposition. The pastor becomes the hero. Culture is seen as the enemy instead of the opportunity for believers to become salt and light, and pastors and other leaders in the church become discouraged, and they just withdraw from leadership. Now, clearly not everything I've read or even said today applies to Centennial Baptist Church. But I think it was wise to hear these things so we don't fall into that trap and become that church. So my prayer is this. Let's not become a church on the decline. Let's be unified in Christ. Let's be open to try new things. Let's reach the community outside of these walls. Let's reassess our, when something happens and we don't like it, let's think about it. Let's become a church that thinks and say, hey, why don't I like this? Is it because of me or is it because it's, it's, it's against God's word? And if we come to the conclusion that, hey, this isn't against God's word, then I might not like it, but you know what? I'm going to support the pastor. I'm going to support the vision. I'm going to encourage. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. Remember those pictures I showed you at the beginning? The game of baseball hasn't changed over the years. I'm sure the looks have the styles have. The play hasn't. you still got to cross home plate. you still got to score the most goals to win. Same with football. you got to get the ball in the end zone and keep the other guys from getting in the end zone. The job of fans hasn't changed. you got to cheer your team on, win or lose, even if that means you're losing to Boise State. The job of Ford hasn't changed. They're still making cars. They've added a lot of fancy bells and whistles, made it a lot more cooler. They've enhanced it, made it more enjoyable, but they haven't changed the mission of the car. Remember Blockbuster, though? They failed. They said, hey, I'm not not jumping on this change bandwagon. We're sticking with our old ways, and their old ways made them go bankrupt. Church, we have a healthy, mature audience of senior saints, and I want you to know that I love you guys. My goal is not to upset. It's not Pastor Tony's goal we're not just changing this church to change, and we're not even really changing. God's word is still going to be taught. God's word is still going to be shared. But as you notice over the last few weeks, we've been doing a lot more video. you also noticed how we've had problems with video. <laughs> it's okay. And we're going to try new things. And But here's the thing, and this is what I want to point out. The gray hairs in this room will one day be gone. And I'll be the one with gray hair in the room. But if there's nobody else like me in this room now, then this church is just going to be another building that people drive by and say, hey, remember that building on, on Lake and Eustick when it used to be a church? If we don't reach a younger generation church, if we don't include a younger generation, then we're going to fail. And I want to call you to action, and this is what it's at. This is where it's at. It all comes back to this. Be the church. The church is not this building. The church is not the style of worship. The church is not the platform or the decorations or the pews or the chairs or the small group or Sunday school. The church is you as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's you saying, I'm going to go out into the community. I'm going to care for the poor. I'm going to care for the needy. I'm going to care for those who need help. I'm not just going to try to go to the soul without going to the heart. Why should Starbucks or other, secular gener- or other secular organizations do that work when we think we can just hop in and throw Jesus at them? We've got to be the church that says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do. I'm going to be. I'm not just going to sit. I'm not going to show up and go home because this is the least important part of the week. This hour, that's the least important part of the week. If you're not getting any of this on your own throughout the rest of the week, you can come here. You might as well just check it off and go home and not even show up because you're not getting fed. You're not going to grow. You're not going to do. You're not going to be. You've got to be in God's word daily. Right. And we've got to, as a church to say, you know what, I'm not going to focus on just coming to church for that one hour window because that's the least important hour of the week. It's what I do the rest of my week to show Jesus in my community, to show Jesus at my work, to show Jesus at my school. We're believers. We think alike. It's easy to come in here and be like, eh, praise Jesus. But when you go out in the world and you're around the lost people and they're cussing and they're yelling and they're taking God's name in vain, it's a lot harder to be a light. But God called us to be a light. He didn't call us just to come to church on Sunday. Church, I hope I haven't upset you today. If I have, uh, you know, that was, wasn't my desire. I skipped things in my note that the Holy Spirit said, don't say that. Because my, my, my desire is not to upset you but I do want to grow. I want to see guys my age want to come in this building. I want to see guys your age that are older keep coming to this building and more. Let's change this world, church. Let's go out of here and be a light in the community. Let's do. Let's not sit. Let's be. Let's stand this morning. I'm glad you came. I pray that the Holy Spirit spoke to you. Don't check the block. Don't be just a hear. But be a doer. God, thank you for these people.